Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for each person that's here. And Lord, all the different visitors we've been having, that you'll draw them into the church if that's your will, and that you, we will see growth and see your name lifted up in all that we do. And ask you to bless this study as we go through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Matthew chapter 27. Uh, so far, we've seen Peter denying Jesus at the end of chapter 26. We saw Jesus brought before the uh, high priest, and then we saw him being brought, uh, then we had him brought to Pontius Pilate, and then we had the little sidebar of Judas hanging himself in, in, in his uh, sorrow of having sold Jesus. And now we're in verse 11 of chapter 27. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto them, You say. And when he was accused of the chief priest and the elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said unto him, Hear you not how many things they witness against you? And he answered him never a word, insomuch that the governor much marveled. So we have here Jesus standing before Pilate. And you know, the accusation, remember, the accusation as far as the Jews are concerned is that he's blaspheming. He's, he's claimed to be God because he said he was the Messiah. And, but as far as the Romans are concerned, blasphemy is not a crime that they're going to put anybody to death for. Because you've got to remember they have probably a hundred different gods and People all the time are claiming to be the a son of a god or, or God himself. So to them, it's no big deal if this man thinks he's God. So this is not an accusation they can make before Pilate and have it be worthy of death. So the accusation they make to Pilate is that he says he's the king of the Jews. Now remember, the Jews are conquered people, and Herod has been assigned or purchased or however he got it, the rulership of that area as king. So this is a serious issue. If, he is a, if he's claiming to be a king, this is an issue that Rome will care about. And you know, it in, it's interesting, in Matthew, he just makes it real simple intercourse. You know, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you say. Or, and then I want to go to John chapter 18 for a moment. John chapter 18. I just want to read this intercourse a little more from, uh, from the way he uh, starts. And let's go at 28 just to get the... John chapter 28? No, John 18, <coughs> verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. And remember we talked about how they, would, they wouldn't even go into where Pilate was because they wanted to be clean for Passover the next day, uh, or that day, the same day as a matter of fact, because uh, Jesus dies on the day of Passover. And they answered and said unto them, oh, and Pilate said, went out to them and said, what accusation bring you against this man? And they answered and said, if he was not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto you. You know, what a, what a statement, you know, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. You know, don't worry about the charges, he's a criminal. Uh, is what they're basically telling him, you know, almost like, mind your own business, judge, judge him. And this is the governor that they're telling this to. And uh, then Pilate, then said Pilate unto them, take him and judge him according to your law. And the Jews 
said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he should die. Okay, Jesus knew he was going to die on the cross, and if he was executed by the Jews, he would be stoned. Stoning was the way that they executed. They didn't hang him on the cross. It was a, the cross was a Roman execution tool. And so, and basically they're saying, hey, we're not allowed to put anybody to death. That's not one of the rules you've, you've given us. And uh, so verse 33, and then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, say you this thing of yourself or did others tell it of, of me? So in other words, are you, are you claiming that I'm the king or did somebody else tell you that this is what's going on? Okay, what, what do you know? What, what do you know, Pilate? Uh, you're going to be my judge. You know, he's asking him basically, what, what do you know about this? What, what are you claiming to be true? They were a vassal state of Rome. They did not have a king. They had a, a Sanhedrin that ruled on the local level. The king was appointed by Caesar, and that was Herod. So Herod was the king of the Jews, quote unquote, in the eyes of Rome. So if Jesus is claiming to be the king of the Jews, which he had the title to, you know, he had the right to because he was of the lineage of David. Um, but Herod's the official appointed king of the Jews. Now, the Jews did not recognize Herod as their king officially because he was not a son of David. Their leader. He was, they were not their leader either. Huh? They were not their, their leader either. No, as far as they were concerned, he wasn't their leader. He was an infidel and a puppet and, and illegal king, so just, as, just as all of Rome was. Because he was the reason they're upset is that he's claimed to be Messiah, the anointed one of God. And even if he was just coming in saying he was going to be king, that's going to upset the entire political structure that they have going on because he all of a sudden would be the ruler and they would be second fiddles or third, fourth, fifth fiddles and not running the show under Rome. So it's a pretty big deal. And it's the same thing most governments see. When you have a change in leadership, there's always that struggle because people who had power no longer have power or may not have power, and those who didn't have power have power, and there's all kinds of upset. And that happened when Rome came in, that they put their leaders in there, and the people who were running it no longer had power. And we see it even in our own government with every election with a change of power, we see people pushed out of power positions and people put into positions and you see the little swipes at each other in the news and the media all the time. So that's why it's a big deal. If Jesus is the king, the Sanhedrin don't want him. Rome doesn't want him. The people probably want him. But the powers that be don't want him because this is going to upset the status quo. All right? So Jesus is going, you know, you know, did somebody tell you in Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh, Pilate's answer is, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you unto me. What have you done? Jesus' answer, if my kingdom was of, my, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. 
but now is my kingdom not from here. In other words, my kingdom is spiritual. And then Pilate's answer are, are you a king then? And Jesus said, you answer, you say that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness of the, unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my words. So basically he says, yes, I am a king, but it's not, not now, not here. And then Pilate asks that, answers that you know, very famous question when Jesus said he is truth. Hey, what is truth? All right. And, you know, and it was probably with just that much sarcasm. What is truth? Because the Greeks were always debating over truth. Aristotle, Plato, all these guys were always debating over what is true. And we think today, you know, today that this whole relative idea of relative truth is new. It was been battled all the way back there that they didn't understand what truth was. You know, is truth what you see or is truth what you feel? Is truth what the spiritual world? And they battled all over the place on what is truth. And that's what Pilate says, you're speaking about truth, you know, what is truth? And then Pilate's going to go and offer up Barabbas, which he's going to do in our chapter. So we're going to go back to our chapter. And, uh, but it's just one of the things when you're reading the scriptures, especially in the Gospels, is you have to kind of read all four Gospels and bring them together because you get a lot more. One, one person just glosses over a certain uh, a statement. Another one amplifies it, just as your question about Andrew was earlier. You know, one person amplifies it more than another person. And highly recommend, if you're really interested, they've got what's called harmonies of the gospel that you can, that you can get where people have actually done the work of putting them together and kind of making them all flow between the, different, uh, the four different books. And they're fun to read. Uh, but uh, we look at this and see Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate's even trying to figure out what's going on here. Okay, He's looking at this man and going, okay, he's not claiming to be a king. He's not trying to overthrow Rome. He's telling me his kingdom's somewhere else and if he was, you know, if he was really a, you know, a king of this world that his, his followers would have revolted and they would have. You know, Peter, Peter was ready to lead the revolt in the garden, you know, not, not to let him get arrested. And so he's kind of in a quandary as to what is going on here. Why are they so upset? And remember, he says, you know, if you think he's such a bad guy, you go deal with him. And they go, well, he's worthy of death by our standards. And they didn't tell him that he's committed blasphemy, you know, that the crime they want to, you know, kill him for is blasphemy, which for the Jews is a capital offense for the, as I said, for the Rome, and they're not going to care. You want to be a son of God? Who, you know, which God are you a son of in the first place? And, you know, why do I care? And so it's not a, it's not a, a, a offense that Pharaoh, oh, Pharaoh, I keep wanting to say Pharaoh, that Pilate is going to care about at all. You know, and so they're coming up with, well, he's a, you know, he, he says he's the king. You know, you got to care about that uh, Pilate because he could be causing all kinds of friction if he's the king and people will follow him and break away from Rome and, and you're going to look like a fool because there's just going to be this uh, civil war. So that's why, that's why they came to him with this charge of he's the king of the Jews. So the, the purpose of bringing him in front of Pilate so he would, he would convict. Because officially the honest. Jews could not kill anybody. They could not execute anybody. 
Well, they're going to, later on, as we get into this, they're going to say, let his blood be on us. So they're not worried about that at all. They just want him executed. They want him executed, and they don't not, and it's Passover, so they don't want to execute him on Passover, which would be a problem. And they want it to be legal. They don't want to be yeah, thrown into, the legal way that yeah, Rome has to execute him, or it's not going to be, well, of course, it's, they've given a false testimony. They've, Even well, they've done everything. They've done everything wrong. They've done everything wrong as far as the Jews are concerned. They have violated their legal system. They've accepted testimony against himself, which is not something you're allowed to do. Uh, everything about his trial, everything about being before the Jewish courts was wrong. And now they take him to Pilate, and we're going to see uh, the manipulation they pull on Pilate. And again, remember, we've talked about Pilate. Pilate is basically a compromised leader at this point. The, the Jews have revolted so many times under his, his rule and everybody else's rule, and they have been put down by force with many deaths. And Caesar basically has told Pilate, one more uh, uh, revolt by these people under your rule that has to be put down with extreme force, and you lose your governorship. All right? So this is a pretty big deal. He has to be very careful how he's walking this tightrope and seeing this uh, anger that's being developed against him during this period of time. And he's, as we're going to see, he's going to say he's innocent. There's no reason to put, him to put him to death, but he's afraid of the people. And he's afraid of losing his job, which he eventually does anyway. He eventually does lose his job and gets sent, sent out of that area. So he's just buying a little time. and little time by not standing up. Um, okay, and then Pilate was amazed that at all the accusations the, the Jews put to him, he didn't answer a word. He didn't speak at all in his defense. And this is Isaiah 53, 7, as a lamb uh, dumb before his shears, he was, he was taken to, to be, before that he didn't speak a word because that was what the prophecy was. Because imagine if Jesus had spoken in his defense. He's defeated Satan himself in defense. Pilate, Pilate would have stood no chance, neither would the, the Jewish leaders if he had really decided it was time to defend himself. He's God. He could have come up with the perfect, perfect answers just like he has in every verse here, but he knows he's going to the cross, so he does not answer his accusers. Doesn't make it so that he'll get released. And he's to go as a sacrifice. He was to go as a lamb to be slain. And the lamb does not battle against its slayer because lambs are very gentle animals. And, and he went in willingly into this execution. Verse 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a, a notable prisoner named Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will you that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered to him. All right. So they had, Pilate had this tradition that he did on Passover that he would release one person from prison. And it makes it indicate that they could choose who they wanted normally. So he takes Barabbas 
and puts him up against Jesus. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And we've got to think about this. Barabbas is in the King James called a notable prisoner. In the Greek, it means notorious or infamous. He would have been a, what we would call terrorist. He murdered, he stole, he caused problems, not just for the Romans. You know, this is not somebody that Pilate wants on the street, but he's not, he's not an innocent person to the Jews either. You know, he has killed Jews, he has killed many people, he has caused riots. And so, in Pilate's mind, he's going, okay, we got this guy who's never hurt anybody, who's helped people, and we're going to put this person up against him who's killed people, killed their own people, caused terror, all kinds of terror, caused revolts. You know, I'm sure that they will pick Jesus. Okay? In his mind, this is the, his way out. All right? I've got two criminals, one that is not a criminal, one who's a bad criminal. Obviously, when I ask the people who they want, they're going to pick Jesus. And then it says, he knew that they had given them Jesus because of envy. And envy is literally a discontentment at somebody else's good fortune. Okay? Jesus is loved by the people. The people like him. And so the leaders of the Jews are envious. He's, they see their power slipping away from them. Because if Jesus had been declared king, and remember, on the triumphant entry a week before, the people were ready to make Jesus king. Try, you know, putting the palm leaves in front of them and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and he came in riding on the, on the donkey, which was the picture of a king riding in on peace. And they're ready to make him king. But it's not time for him to be king, so Jesus leaves that area before they can make him king. But the high priest and the Sanhedrin, they, they know this. They know that he's got the heart of the people. The people would love to make him king. And if you have the people's people behind you, the Sanhedrin would have no power because they didn't, they didn't have people that loved them pretty much. They respected them. They were afraid of them. But they didn't love them. They were just religious leaders, and they knew most of them were hypocrites. And they, you know, they had power, and they knew they had power, but they loved Jesus. You know, many of them. Not all of them, obviously. And so Pilate is aware that the Sanhedrin don't like Jesus because of the popularity he's gaining. Now, in the back of his mind, Pilate may not be too happy with Jesus either, but Jesus has answered his one question with, if I was a king, my people would have ruled, you know, raised up. So he's seeing that Jesus is not the ambitious person that the Sanhedrin is, uh, is because he knows the Sanhedrin would just as soon kick Rome out if they could, and right now that they're trying to use him. So he knows that they're power hungry and ambitious, but Jesus does not have that same appearance to him. And so he gives them up and says, you know, hey, I give you a choice. Jesus, who's healed everybody and, and been kind to everybody, or Barabbas, who causes havoc everywhere he goes. Who do you want? And, you know, from a, even from the world's point of view, this should have been a no-brainer. We'll take Jesus. <laughs> not, the, not this murderer, you know, person who's causing all kinds of problems and stealing from everybody and causing riots. This should have been an automatic, we pick Jesus. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, 
Have you nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this, night, uh, this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to them, Whither are the two will you that I release? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And they all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried all the more, Let him be crucified. And Pilate saw, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was, get, was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just man. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. All right, so we see he gets ready to sit down at the judgment seat. And the word for judgment is the Bema seat. And we talk about the Bema seat of Christ when we will stand before Christ to be judged for the works that we do and the activities that we do. Not for salvation, but for rewards. Because the white throne judgment is the judgment of heaven or hell. And everybody who goes to stand before the white throne judgment is guilty. Because the Christians have all been judged before that. Uh, so he sits down and his wife sends him a note or communicates with a, with a servant or whatever. But she says, don't have anything to do with him. He is innocent. And I've had, you know, she says, suffered with bad dreams. Okay. She has been getting a message and trying to help Pilate make the right decision. Even though God the Father knows that Pilate is going to make the wrong decision, he gives him every opportunity to make the right decision. All right? And God does that with people even today. When people say, well, I didn't know any better, or I just stumbled into this sin, or I don't know how I found myself here, if they really looked at what happened to them before that, there will be all kinds of stop signs in their, in their face and, and flags being thrown at them or whatever, whatever term you want to use. There'll be all kinds of things saying, don't do this. If Jesus had to do this, he had to do this, right? So, uh, there was no, uh, there was no way he could. Get no way out. No, there was no way he could choose the right reason. I mean, the right, to do the right thing. Before the creation of the world, Jesus said, I will die for the world. Pilate could have done anything. God knew that he would not. Because he knows the beginning from the end, we want to say that we're predestined. We had no choice in the matter. But God knew what choice we would make. And if he's directing the scene, then why did the wife get dreams? It was Pilate's opportunity to do what is right and be without excuse. See, Pilate could have done the right thing, and Jesus still could have been crucified. He still would have died. There would just have been another way to, to have it happen. Always, when people work their way into sin, God has put up warning markers in there in, before it happens, whether they're saved or not saved. If you really think back on the times when you make bad decisions and you, you honestly look at the decisions you made, you can see the little markers and the flags that kept putting, the verses that you read, the messages you heard, the, the thoughts that crossed your mind, the people that said, don't do it, that we totally ignore as we close our eyes and walk off the cliff. You know, there's warnings. This was for Pilate. Here's Pilate's chance at redemption to not do what God already knows he's going to do. But he, but he can't go in and say, hey, I'm innocent. I didn't know any better. 
You know, even when he washes, it, we get down there, he washes his hands to, to say I'm innocent, he had the power to say no. She says, don't do it. And the priest, chief priest has persuaded the people that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Now, I have heard many pastors over the years preach that this is the same crowd standing before Pilate that was, that was at the triumphant entry. I disagree. Okay? Remember, Jerusalem is not a small town in and of itself, and it's Passover. There are millions of people in Jerusalem. The ones who worshipped him a week earlier and said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, were those that were in love with him and followed him and would have followed him into a new kingdom if he had decided to have been king right then and there, would have followed him to be their king. A week later, early in the morning, when nobody knows what's going on, is a hand-picked crowd by the Sanhedrin and the high priest saying, you guys are the ones that are going to listen to us, and this is what we want. Okay, we want him killed, and, you know, and whatever, whatever Pilate says, we want Jesus dead. Okay, they don't know what Pilate's going to say. They don't know that he's going to offer Barabbas beforehand, but all they know is Jesus is to die, and whoever, they might expect that he's going to try to play this game of releasing somebody really vile, and, you know, because it is Passover, and offering that person instead of Jesus. But these are people that they have control over, that they're going to say, you know, hey, no, you, you want Barabbas, you want Jesus dead. They handpicked the people. These are the handpicked people, or at least the bulk of them, have been handpicked by the Sanhedrin going, we're going to present Jesus tomorrow morning, bright and early at Pilate, you be there, so that we can get the result we want. All right, these are not just innocent bystanders, they just happen to find themselves in Pilate's court. We think about Israel and we go, oh, that's the Jewish nation. The, you know, the Sabbath is being practiced. All, the, all these different feasts are being followed. And, and they're really worshiping God. And as a whole in the nation, even for the Jews themselves, they are not looking to follow God. And most of them are Jew in name only. I was born a Jew, so I am a Jew. Uh, and they practice their holidays, as we said many times, much like most people in America celebrate Christmas and Easter. They're just holidays, okay? Oh yeah, it's all about Jesus, but you know, who cares in, in most people's minds? And that's the way the Jews are right now. Uh, we're coming into the Passover season in, in Israel and many will get excited about it and they will mostly practice their feast and all of that, but it's lost its true significance in their mind. It's just a day off and a day to, day to have a, a nice, great big meal with the family and enjoy yourself. Tell the stories of how it delivered Israel from, from Egypt, but, but even though God did it, we don't really believe that there is a God. You know, it's the typical doublespeak of people who are living one, one way and trying to believe in another and, and having the confusion. And I don't want to criticize them because we've got a lot of Christians who do the same thing. We'll tell you they say, don't believe the Bible, don't believe that Jesus was God, uh, but they're a Christian. Well, what are you believing in? <laughs> if Jesus isn't the, the Lamb of God who died for the world and was resurrected for your sins and the only way to heaven, what are you putting your belief in as a Christian? This is, you've got to keep this in mind about where Israel is with God right now. They're in nation, 
Judaism is greatly protected, especially those who want to be orthodox in their beliefs because they believe that's what they're there for. You want to just be Jew in name, that's fine. If you want to be a Jew and not believe in God, that's fine. You, you know, they don't really care as long as you're a Jew. And they weren't too far from that in Jesus' day. Even though they had the temple and everything, there were a lot of people that were Jew just in name only. And this is what Paul says at one point. Just because you're a Jew and you've been circumcised does not mean that you're a follower of God. He goes, you must be circumcised in your heart, in your attitudes as well. And this is what we tell people as, as Christians. Just because you have said a prayer or say that you're a Christian does not mean you're a Christian if you do not believe that Jesus is the only way. And what does that mean? You've given up any other hopes of any other possible way. And, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of try Jesus. You don't try Jesus. You totally commit your life to Jesus or you don't commit your life to Jesus. There's no, well, God, I'm going to give you a try. And if you don't work, if you don't work in 90 days, I'm going to return to sender. You know, that's not a 90-day money-back guarantee. And if you approach Jesus with that kind of attitude, you're not turning your whole life to Jesus and you're not a Christian. You know, no, no money-back guarantee. You know, you try him for a year, and if it doesn't work out, you get, get rid of him. That's not what it's about. All right, so they, they had this crowd, and again, remember, this is not the same crowd, in my belief, that was praising him a week earlier. This is a hand-selected, rabble-rousing crowd, and they said, give us Barabbas. Give us the terrorist who's going to cause pain and suffering in our life, and you go put Jesus to death. It doesn't make much sense, but you know, how many times does the world not make sense in, in its decisions? How many times does it not make sense when we decide to follow the world and end up under the punishment of, oh, wow, I could have avoided all this trouble if I had just chosen God's way and not, and, not, and not followed the world or my way in this. And they're going to find all kinds of trouble because of their choice of Barabbas. Because I'm sure Barabbas did not just automatically leave the prison and say, okay, I'm free, I'm never going to do anything again. I'm sure he went back to his rabble-rousing ways because he had a hatred for Rome and a hatred for the Sanhedrin that allowed Rome in in the first place. You want to remember, Rome was invited into Israel so that they could continue to worship God the way they wanted to. Rome, when it entered, the entered into a place, would send envoys usually to the people and say, if you surrender, we will let you keep certain parts of your life. If you don't, we will destroy every part of your life and you will become under Rome's rule. The Jews said, okay, we, you know, there's chaos right now anyway, so you come on in, you be our governor, and we will recognize you, but we want to be able to worship our God and not have to worship Caesar, which was what Rome did. They made you worship Caesar. Because Caesar considered himself a god. And that's how Rome came in without conquering Israel. They were invited in. Come on in. Just let us keep our, you know, you let us keep our little bit of religious power and we'll worship God and you just come on and you can, and we'll, we'll pay you your tax and all that. Yes, they didn't believe the history books. You know, ask God, he wouldn't let him come in. Well, no, they did not believe their history. They did not, you know, they, again, even in Jesus' day, people were already very secular. Okay. Remember, we've got two major groups in, in, the, in power, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees are the larger of the two groups. The Pharisees are hyper-religious, self-righteous people. 
thinking they're obeying God's word. All right? The Sadducees are basically humanists. They, do, they do not believe in the supernatural. They do not believe in resurrection. They do not believe in miracles. Okay? They're the ones pretty much that said, come on, Rome, you know, uh, we, you know, these other guys, they probably would say, you know, we, we, can, we can trust in God, but we're not, you know, we're more powerful than they are. We're, we, we outnumber them. Uh, and they were the humanists. They were the ones that didn't believe in God. Okay, they're Jews in name only. Born Jews, we're Jews, and, and we're going to run it by our own human, human understandings. You know, this God that our people talk about rescuing from Egypt and, and delivering from all this, that, and the other things, you know, yeah, those are just stories. And that was their mindset. So even in Jesus' day, they were moving far away from, from God. There was still the temple, still worship going on, but they were moving away from God into other places. Enough history. All right, so they asked for Barabbas, and in 22, Pilate says, what should I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ, the anointed one? Okay? We've talked about this. In Jesus' name, it is Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. His name's not Jesus Christ. That Christ? Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. The Messiah. It's the same, it's the Greek word for Messiah. So Jesus the Messiah. Christ is the title. Title. It's a title. It's not part of his name. Jesus is the Greek version of Jesus' Hebrew name, which is Yeshua, or we would say Joshua. So his name really is, as far as we in English would say, Joshua, but we've adopted his Greek, the Greek pronunciation of his name and have never, never changed it. But it really is, if it was taken straight from Hebrew, would be Joshua. And he says, well, what am I going to do with the anointed one? What am I going to do with your Messiah? And they said, let him be crucified. That was the execution method of the, of the Romans and says, let him be crucified. And you know what? It's amazing that the, especially the Pharisees did not know their own scripture that it said that he was going to hang on a tree and the cross was called a tree. You know, they're, they're, they're playing right into all of the prophecies and they are the ones instigating the fulfillment of the policy, of the prophecies and not even being aware of what they're doing. And it's kind of fun. You watch it going on, and we talk about this whole idea of God knew it was all going to happen, knew what they were going to do. They all had choices. They, they're not puppets on a string being forced to do this. And yet they're doing just what God said they would do because he knew. He already knows. And this is why predestination has this really hard, hard line on it. People have a choice, but yet God knew what they were going to do and may have hardened hearts in the process to make sure it happened as well because they'd made enough decisions. The scribes and Pharisees have, and Sadducees have made a number of decisions that have led up to a hard heart. So just as Pharaoh did way back in the 10 plagues where he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, then it says God hardened his heart. Okay, He'd hardened his heart so many times that God says, now you're not changing your mind until the full wave of problems have hit you. This may have been what happened to the scribes and Pharisees, that they'd hardened their hearts so many times against Jesus that God said, okay, now I'm hardening your heart. We are going to fulfill what I said was going to be fulfilled. Okay? And this is why when we talk about predestination and election, it's a very hard topic because we have a free will. God puts things in our, in our path to stop, but he does know what we're going to do. 
And yet there will be times when we will do what he wants us, you know, what he says is going to be done. And I've talked about Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus riding on the pony or the horse being knocked off his horse by the bright light. He had the option of disobeying God after he'd been knocked off the horse and God had talked to him. Now, and I've said most, many times, nobody in their right mind under that circumstance would have said, no, God, I'm not following you. Okay? He'd been knocked off the horse, blinded, and God says, you're, you know, it's hard to kick, the, kick against the pricks and you're going to follow me. You know, he could have said, oh, no, no way am I going to follow you. Who in their right mind would have said no? Nobody in their right mind would have said no. So did Paul make a decision to follow God, or did God make him follow? Both is what I'm going to say. God basically made him, and Paul had a choice. You know, it wasn't much of an option. And if you've ever been thought about this as a manager or as even a parent, when you just don't want to command your kids to do something, sometimes you'll kind of lead them down a path of decision-making that leads to one decision, and all of a sudden, you know, they're making a decision to do something and they come, you know, maybe you've been there. You got talked into doing something and go, how did I ever agree to do this? I don't remember making a decision. And you think about, you were led down a certain path, you know, a certain line of questions, a certain line of argument that led you to only one choice. And you kind of get to the end of it like, how did I, how did I get here? You know, part of God's predestination is that sometimes. Here's your, here's your list of you know, events that lead you here so that when you get to that final point of decision, it's just an automatic decision. You don't really even aware that you made a decision. And it's God kind of, I would say manipulating, even though it has negative, you know, negative tones or directing, directing you down a line and all of a sudden you made a decision. Okay, we had free will, we made a decision, it was just kind of a controlled decision. So we see that even in here. These people are following down a line of, line of decision-making, God has probably hardened some hearts. They've, they've rejected Jesus so many times. He says, okay, now you're not going to. Because we don't see what happened to Pilate. Pilate had this last chance. Uh, hey, don't do this. You know, this is wrong. He's a just man. Don't do this. And Pilate ignores his wife. All right. And he's in a, between a rock and a hard place in that. If he lets a riot start up, he's, he's going to lose his job. And so his question is, do I get rid of a just, innocent man, or do I have a riot? And from a Roman perspective, one insignificant life is better than an entire riot in losing his job. Because he really doesn't care about the lives of the Jews. Okay? He's Roman. He's Roman. You know, life, is, life is very insignificant to the Romans. Life is becoming insignificant in our day. People are willing to abort a baby and murder a baby just because they don't want it. They're willing to take somebody who is, has special needs and, and, and kill them because they're not wanted. They're willing to take senior adults who are starting to get sick and say, oh, I'll just kill them because it's better for everybody if they're dead. You know, they're willing to go in and shoot people just for the fun of shooting them because life has become unimportant in our day, very much like it was in Rome and Greece and Babylon and every other great kingdom before Christianity came along. And we're seeing a return to the barbarism of the ancient days. Flesh is cheap. Well, it's, life is cheap is what I would, you know. But life is cheap, cheap in their eyes and it's going back to the ancient days. 
which is one of the things that throws people off. You know, they think that we're so far grown and evolved beyond all this violence, and then they see this violence popping up. You cannot tell people that life is unimportant and not expect people to say, fine, I'll just take lives, all right? We used to have people that had respect because we taught that life is vital because it's a God-given gift created in the image of God, which means you don't commit suicide, you don't kill another person, you know, you don't do all these things because it is a God-given gift. When we take God out of the equation and say life is, you know, you're just a bunch of animals, the strong animals are, are to, to take in power over the weak animals, and then we wonder why people get violent because they have perceived strength and they get violent. You know, the answer to our violence is easy. Go back to God. Go back to God's way of thinking that all people are in, created in the image of God and have value because they are in God's image and that would reduce most of the violence that we have. There will still be the, the outside group that are that are living the world's way and life is cheap. They've always been there, always will. Satan hates humanity because we are created in the image of God and therefore he will always try to do things to cheapen life and make, take life away. And our world is falling deeply into it. The young are not that important because they're good, they'll get in your way. The old are not important because they're just gonna drain your resources. The disabled aren't important because they're a drain on your resources. They're never going to, to give anything. And from those perspectives, they say, just kill all those people. And if you're, if you're just mad at a bunch of people, they're nothing but a bunch of flesh and, and no, nothing important, go kill them too. And that's why we get the violence that we have in today's world. Because we've disconnected with God's view of life. And as long as we stay disconnected from his view of life, violence will be rampant. When we go to the tribulation period, and thank God we won't be here for the tribulation period, it'll be nothing but death and maiming out there because God's presence will not be felt. You know, there'll be just, you know, kill, maim, and destroy because that's what the flesh wants to do, and there will be very little restraining against that attitude because Satan is going to really push everybody, you know, we think it's bad now, just wait. <laughs> Just wait till the church is no longer there being a restraining influence on the world. As bad a job as the church is doing on a lot of these issues, we still put up this restriction saying, no, we're not going to accept you know, uh, senseless murder. We're going to try to stop abortion. We're going to try to stop euthanasia. We're going to try to stop homosexuality. We're going to try to stop all these things. Now, the world, we're losing against the world, but imagine how bad it would be if the church wasn't there putting a restraint against these things. All these things would be full, full bore. You know, you, know you, don't, you don't want a baby. Now, we don't want you to have a baby either. And forced abortions. You know, you're getting too old to be popular. Your family loves you, but we're going to kill you anyway because you're a drain on society. That's where this world is headed to, where the government tells you what you can and can't do with life. You know, so we want to see pilot for all that's going on He's kind of being a puppet. He's in a rock and a hard place. He doesn't see a way out, especially once they reject Barabbas, uh, accept Barabbas and reject Jesus. He's kind of out of, he's kind of, out of uh, cards to play at this moment. 
because and not in his wildest dreams did he ever expect that they would, he's heard the reputation of Jesus, you know, he's heard of Jesus, obviously, he's the governor. You know, he, Jesus probably was in some of his morning briefings, you know, this is what's going on in town, this is what's going on in the area. You know, these briefings our president and government get are not new. They've been going on for, for millennia because the leaders always want to know what's going on in my kingdom. Tell me. Now, they get a little faster information nowadays than they used to, but the, that information has always been there. Who, who's the rabble-rousers? Who's causing peace? Who's, who's troublemakers? What, what area of the country is having trouble? All right? There's no way that Pilate had not heard of Jesus. So he knows that Jesus is respected, has been a kind person, is, is considered in his, in his mindset a magician, you know, doing, doing miraculous things. Never in his wildest dreams did he think that they would say, give us Barabbas and, and kill Jesus. It made no sense in his mind. Okay, let's let the terrorists go and cause problems and get rid of this Jesus guy. And that's why his question was, what do you want me to do with him? And they, they say, crucify him. And then in verse 24, we see Pilate being a politician. When Pilate, first, uh, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man, this just, the blood of this just man. See you to it. Okay? He sees that nothing's going to happen. The winds are blowing against him. And he is a full-fledged politician. His finger is up in the wind, seeing which way the wind's blowing, and saying, okay, if I have to kill this Jesus to keep peace, I will kill this, this Jesus. And again, we think, as far as he's concerned, the life of one just man is better than a riot. Because if he gets a riot, he loses his job. He doesn't even care about the riot as much. He's got plenty of soldiers. He can put down the riot. But because he's been told by Caesar, one more riot that you have to put down by force and kill my citizens, you will lose your job. So in that he doesn't care about the riot, he doesn't care about their lives, he does care about his position. And he would rather sacrifice an innocent man than lose his position. And he washes his hands symbolically saying, I am innocent, and he is not innocent. He is guilty of Jesus' blood because he had the power to say, no, it's not going to happen. That, that when you have the power to stop something and don't stop something, you are guilty. Even if it would have caused a riot or, or a huge, you know, other problems, you're still guilty if you don't stand up to help in this situation. So Pilate is guilty. All right, he's not going to be the one that actually has done it. You know, he's, he'll go, well, you know, I, I listen to the people. And, God's, and God, when he stands before him at the white throne judgment, if he didn't, <laughs> didn't ever become a Christian, will say, no, you had the power. You had the ability to do it. You are guilty. And I don't know if Pilate ever became a Christian in his history. <laughs> Anything's possible. And then after he washed his hands, oh, no, verse 25. Then the people said, his blood be on us and our children. In other words, they say, we're going to accept the guilt. And you know, when people are wicked, they will say things that they really should not have said or done. You know, how many times do we go down the wrong path and say and do things we shouldn't say? And in here, they're saying, "Let us. We're, we'll be guilty. Our anger, our bitterness against him is so strong, we're willing to let our, 
us and our children. Throw the kids, yeah, throw the kids under the bus too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be guilty. Yeah. We, we will be guilty of this man's blood. Pretty serious statement. Now, will their children be guilty? No, because their children did not make the decision. God holds the parents accountable. But when parents make a stand against God in a certain area of their life, that usually flows down to the children. And we see this over and over. You know, it talks about generational sins, and most of that is learned behavior. If somebody is a drunk and an alcoholic, there is a very great chance that their children will be drunks and alcoholics. And then their children will be drunks and alcoholics because it's a learned behavior. And I think there may be a little bit of DNA uh, proclivity to those things as well. But, you know, we see this over and over. The good news is when you turn to Christ and you start leading that kind of life in front of your children, that also can be caught by the kids. And they can make decisions for God and make good decisions for God and grow in God and start, as the pilgrims said when they came here, we want to start this land and our children will stand on our shoulders, which meant they started out at a higher level. And my kids, I believe, have started out at a higher level than most people their age because we raised them in a strong Christian home, getting them in the word of God. And each one of my kids, except for one, has said the same thing over and over. I never knew how much I learned at home until I'm sitting in this church listening to people not knowing what they're talking about and being able to speak and talk to them about God from a much higher level than the other people that are on, ground, on the ground floor. And hopefully, when they, if and when they have kids, they will raise their kids, and their kids will stand on their shoulders <laughs> at, a, at a higher place and really be able to step into speaking for God. And this happens, and we see it with the other way with the dark. You know, usually the next generation is worse than their parents were in whatever sin it is that they were raised in. So we see it both ways. So these people have put a curse on their children in one sense. We've denied Jesus, and we're going to teach you to deny Jesus so that they will end up being worse in their hatred toward Jesus. So it probably was a curse upon their children, but it's going to be a learned, learned response. And then the last part of this paragraph, then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus and delivered him unto him. And scourging we've talked about. That was using the Roman flagellum, seven to 12 uh, leather straps with wood, glass, stone, very sharp things to help them really dig into the skin. And they would have scourged him. And again, this is a place where you'll hear people say, well, he was whipped 39 times. And they will say that because the Jews would not whip you 40 times because they gave you one less for mercy. But he's not being whipped by the Jews. He's being whipped by the German. Man, I'm having trouble speaking today by the, by the Roman, Roman legion. And they had no rule that said only 40 lashes. Why did they lash him? I believe, my belief is that Pilate was hoping that if he scourged him and he appeared to them totally beaten and, and, and hurt, that they would re recant from their desire to have him crucified. Now, it doesn't say that, but we've seen Pilate trying desperately not to crucify Jesus. 
Let me offer you a terrorist in Jesus' place. Okay, let me really beat him almost to death, and maybe that will satisfy your blood hunger, and you will relent and not ask for him to be crucified. This is why I believe he did it. Because uh, otherwise it would just be, okay, go put him on a cross. Again, we've got to understand that the Romans were a brutal people. They wanted to suffer. Well, I don't think Pilate cared one way or the other. Pilate's trying to get him released. And I think he's, I think he's trying to say, well, if he looks bad enough, he's been beat bad enough, he's barely alive, maybe the people will say, okay, that's enough. We don't need to see him go to the cross. And the only rule the Roman soldiers had was that if you were scourging the person, you were not to kill him. Okay? They could beat him all day long if they wanted, as long as they didn't kill him. And that was their, their thought. So they would have a doctor right there, you know, checking on him to make sure that he didn't die. They, the doctor would have rubbed salt in his wound and purified and all that stuff to, to help heal the wounds. <laughs> having, well, salt, having salt poured into your wounds is not, yeah. it does heal them, but it hurts almost as bad as the, as the beating he took. And then we're going to see later on when he gives them over to, the, to, to them that there's even going to be more beating after the scourging, all right? And so, but the, the scourging, I truly believe the scourging was because he was trying to say, okay, I beat him, I really hurt him, will that satisfy you? He doesn't need, I don't think he's done anything wrong. You know, again, how cheap life is to him. He's willing to let one man suffer greatly to keep a riot and keep his job, all right? But he's still trying desperately to keep Jesus from being sent to the cross. Oh, I'm sure the people, well, they, didn't, they wanted him on a cross. I don't know if they even cared whether he was scourged or not. They wanted him on the cross. Yeah, because the Romans scourged him. The Romans are scourging him. Uh, this, so he is being beat, and I, like I say, there's no proof of this, but I kind of think Pilate was trying one more last thing to say, you know, if I beat him bad enough and you see him barely standing and he's blood everywhere, maybe, maybe your bloodlust will be be satisfied and you're not going to want him to go to the cross. And then you'll be happy to let me do whatever I want later on with him. Uh, now whether that's true or not, it's all speculation. Uh, but following the context here, I really do believe that's what, what he was trying to do. All right, we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Lord, you went through so much for us. You went before Pilate is a lamb silent to be slaughtered. You did not respond. We watched all the hoops that Pilate is trying to go through, and yet he could have just said, no, it's not going to happen, and he didn't. And Lord, we, you took this beating upon you. You took all the punishment for our sin upon yourself through the lashes that we deserve, and we just thank you for all of that. Help us to always keep the, the great cost of our salvation in mind. In your son's name, amen.